Welcome to the latest episode of Comic Book Physics released through Bureau42.com. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at time travel, which was inspired by the Kang Dynasty, this week's entry in the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, and in the story, the Avengers face off against Kang, who is best known as the time-traveling villain, the conqueror of a later century who keeps coming back to an earlier century to stop the Avengers so that the world is poised for him to do the conquering that he has already done. So the question here is, what is time travel? Is it possible? How does it work? Well, in the loosest definition, time travel is possible and easy. We're all moving through time in a forward direction at a rate of one second per second. So usually when people talk about time travel, they don't talk about just the natural flow of time, but rather having us control the rate at which we pass through time, as well as controlling the direction. Now, the direction is key for most people to consider something time travel, because right now we appear to have what is called an axiom, or something that's assumed to be true but not proven in any absolute sense, something self-evident. And that axiom is the axiom of causality. Specifically, cause precedes effect. So if a glass falls off a table and shatters, you're going to knock it off the table first, and it shatters second. So in the time order, the cause precedes effect. In a lot of time travel stories, that's not the case. So the question is, are these time travel stories possible? Are they reasonable? Can effect precede cause under any circumstances? Can we use whatever that mechanism is to travel to arbitrary points in time or space, to go back you know, a thousand years to witness some major historical event or go forward into the future to see what technology mankind have become? In order to talk about that, we must first figure out what we mean by time. Since the early part of the 20th century, we've referred to what is the space-time continuum. Prior to that, space and time were considered separate entities. So space was your position, and time is our perceived flow through it from the past to the future. Mathematically speaking, since what Einstein discovered in his theory of relativity We could say that time is similar to distance, but there is a fundamental difference between time and space in the metric of that space-time continuum. Now, a metric is a mathematical object, specifically a tensor, that defines the geometry of the space-time continuum. It's an arrangement of different variables. So a lot of us are familiar with vectors, which is either a single row or a single column. Mathematically, it's preferably treated as a column where you've got different coordinates for things. Sometimes it's treated as just a couple of entries, so magnitude and direction. That's the general definition is a magnitude and direction. If we're looking at that in terms of, say, an airplane traveling, we could say it's going, say, 500 kilometers an hour in a direction of 30 degrees north of east. So that is the total speed and the direction. Instead, you could say it's going so many kilometers per hour east and so many kilometers per hour north and break it into components and look at it that way. Either way, it works. We've got different coordinate systems, and as long as you understand which one you're working with and do it consistently, everything will come out. So the typical Cartesian space, which we're used to, deals with positions along variables x, y, and z. It was named for René Descartes, the I think therefore I am guy who was very sick as a child and thought about the coordinate system, which is now known as the Cartesian plane, when he was watching a fly crawl across his ceiling with some regular tile patterns, and he realized he could use those tile patterns to track the position of the fly. 
Now in Cartesian space, we have either zeros or ones in the entire arrangement of the metric. Now this metric, a collection of rows and columns would be square, and they show how the different variables interact with each other. So each column represents one direction or one axis or one variable. So in Cartesian space, say it would be a three by three tensor would be X, Y, and Z columns, along with X, Y, and Z rows. So the first column and first row would tell you how the X coordinate interacts with the X coordinate, where we'd have a one. The Y by Y component of the diagonal would also be one. The Z by Z component of the diagonal would be one. Everything else would be zero because changing X does not intrinsically change Y or Z. Now, if we're dealing with different coordinate axes, such as, you know, that plane traveling through the air, if we do that in the polar system with magnitude and direction, we still have only non-zero entries on the diagonal, but the diagonal becomes one for the radial or you know, the magnitude of this direction. And then the second column is not position, it is a radial distance, it's the angle or direction. Instead of a one, that becomes R squared, mostly to preserve units. So if you have more complicated coordinate systems or more complicated spaces, such as you get when gravity's involved and it actually warps the space that we're in, you start getting non-zero and non-one or non-trivial entries in your metric. And it's examining the metric when time is involved that really sets things apart. Now Einstein was the one that recognized that time is intrinsically related to space and the way we're moving through it. To a lot of people, relativity is simply E equals mc squared, energy and mass are convertible, and that's why the atomic bomb works. While that's true, it is really a footnote in a much larger report and a much larger paper. That's a consequence of the basic idea that Einstein realized the math which determines the speed of light is independent of the observer. So when we're in the lab measuring you know, how fast the ball bearing is rolling down the ramp, we're ignoring the fact that the Earth is rotating on its axis and orbiting around the sun, and the sun's orbiting around the core of our galaxy, and the galaxy's moving through space, and so on and so forth. We can measure things relative to the lab, and it works pretty well. So we have the freedom to pick our own coordinate axes, our own coordinate frames. But Einstein realized the math where we observe the speed of light was independent of which frame of reference that we're using. And he rightfully concluded that that meant any two observers looking at that same photon of light would agree on the speed of that light is, regardless of which coordinate system they're in. It was already known that distances would differ. For example, if you are measuring relative to yourself when you're sitting on a park bench and a photon of light goes by, you might say that it's moved 30 meters in a given amount of time. But if you're driving a car and still measure relative to yourself, that same photon of light may have only gone 3 meters in that much time because the car itself has gone 27 meters relative to that park bench you started on, leaving just a three meter difference. Now, the way it was before Einstein, we'd have said that those two observers would have disagreed on the speed of that photon of light, because they would have agreed on the time elapsed. Einstein realized that when you're talking about light, they must agree on the speed. Therefore, since they don't agree on the distance, they must not agree on the time either, which means time is somewhat pliable and variable. Two different people with two different types of motion from two different reference frames will perceive time as flowing at two different rates because the ratio of distance to time for a photon of light never changes. It is what is known as an invariant. So when you do the numbers on that, the metric for special relativity, which is as close to the Cartesian metric as we can get, starts off looking the same. You can have that same three by three block with ones on the diagonal for distance, 
And when you look at what the coordinate of time must be, you still get zeros for how time interacts directly with x, y, and z. But the time and time interaction coordinate isn't a positive one like the others are, it's a negative one. You do have the option to say time is positive one and the spatial directions are negatives, but it seems like a, at least to me, a more natural extension to put negative one there. You can also use imaginary numbers for time. There's a number of mathematical ways to do it. The important thing is that overall, if you square your time coordinate and square one of the position coordinates, if one's positive, the other will be negative. That seems to be the mathematical representation of the fundamental difference between position and time. That's what sets the time axis apart from the spatial axes in terms of the way we interact with them. So we have the freedom to move through space any way we want. Right? We can walk north, south, east, west. We can climb up or down. We have that flexibility, but we don't have the flexibility to do something biologically to change how we're moving through time. But with Einstein's general relativity, some of these doors open again. In general relativity, Einstein realized that large sources of gravity could also distort the space-time continuum. And technically, they don't need to be large. Every source of gravity does, just to varying degrees. So this seemed to be the out. If you can warp it enough, it can wrap back in on itself, and maybe that would make time travel possible. You follow this warped path and come out before the point in time where you left. Does that make it possible to travel backwards in time? Because with special relativity, traveling forward is possible. If you move quickly enough, your perception of time will alter enough that you might feel only an hour has gone by when those around you would have seen a whole day go by. So it is theoretically possible to use that effect to travel to the future, but that wouldn't get you to the past. With general relativity, when you get these closed loops, then perhaps you could get to the past. So can we make a closed loop? Well, with the discovery of the black hole, that seems to be an open tube or a hole in the space-time continuum. Things can fall in, but they can't fall out. And they can't climb out if they can move slower than the speed of light, which appears to be the light speed limit. You cannot travel faster than light. But if you can warp space enough, you can still move more slowly than light, but you can so severely shorten the distance that you'll still beat light there when light moves through normal space and you're going through the distorted space. So you travel 100 years in the future not by allowing 100 years to elapse, but by taking a shortcut through the space-time continuum. In order to do that, you need two black holes back-to-back, -back, forming a wormhole. So for a while there, it appeared that wormholes could quite possibly be a way to accomplish time travel. Well, that doesn't really work either. They've looked into wormholes, and when you follow the math a little bit further, you can form a wormhole that opens up at one point in space and time and creates a path to another point in space and time. As soon as anything with any mass or energy or momentum falls into it, then those two black holes that were connected back to back to form the wormhole split up. And you're not going through a tunnel anymore, you're just falling into a black hole, leading to a rather painful and messy death. Now it has been shown that it's possible to prop open one of these wormholes or black holes and essentially jam that door with a very particular type of exotic matter. So if you've got mass with very specific properties that you could somehow get lodged in the opening, then the wormhole stays open. The issue with that is A, we have no idea how to lodge it in the opening, and B, it's made of exotic matter. Exotic matter is physics code word for material so strange and so bizarre that we've never seen it and couldn't begin to tell you how to find it or make it. So it's at this point essentially a purely mathematical construction. 
We know that these properties would keep that thing open. We have no idea how to produce material with those properties in the first place, which may be a good thing. Einstein took causality as an axiom of the universe. If that's not true and there were a way to travel back in time, what would happen? So simple experiment, say you travel back in time far enough to try and prevent yourself from traveling back in time. So as you're walking towards the time machine to go through it, you or a future version of you jumps out to prevent you from going through. Well, this can produce a paradox. The quote-unquote first time through, your future self wouldn't be there. When your future self appears on the second time through, well, you've changed history. Events are playing out differently, even if it's as simple as delaying when you go through the gate. In the other way, if you haven't gone through yet and you see yourself blocking it, you can just choose not to go through and let your future self succeed. And then what happens to your future self? You wouldn't have been able to travel back to do it. So it creates a paradox, right? The paradox is that if you draw a line from cause to effect over and over again, with a paradox, it starts to not just coil around, but it doesn't line up with where it was before. So you now have a new path. Now, some science fiction writers have suggested it forms a new timeline. That's the way it was interpreted in the Back to the Future movies, where Marty would still exist, at least for a while, even though history was completely rewritten, so that he should no longer have existed. If you're creating a second universe or a second timeline by doing that and doing that closed loop, so now there's two timelines that exist, well, that requires a tremendous amount of energy. Conservation laws say that there's only a given total amount of mass energy in the system or in the entire universe, as well as a given total amount of momentum, a given total amount of angular momentum. Time travel starts messing that up. I mean, as soon as you step out of the time machine in the past, you've added mass to the universe at that point in time. It appears as though causality is not just an axiom, but it is a fundamental part of the system that prevents contradictions from happening. Because if you split the timelines and make a new universe, you need to provide all the energy required to make all the mass in that universe. That's a huge energy load. It simply doesn't exist. The numbers don't add up. The energy required to make a new universe is greater than the total mass and energy combined of the universe you're leaving, and you can never harness it all. So it does appear that conservation laws exist and fundamentally prevent time travel in the science fiction sense. So time travel, the way it's represented in Avengers comics with Kang coming back from the future to attack characters in the past, doesn't seem to work. The only time travel that would appear to work would be a way to alter the gravity or speed of a time traveler in such a way as to have them experience a much slower rate of time and then return to the normal rate of time in what they would consider the future. When really the time has elapsed for everyone else, it's just that person wasn't feeling time go by at the same rate. So unfortunately, this one doesn't quite work as planned. So join us again next month, as is going to be the case for the next few months. I'm looking to the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast topics for the same week of release as inspiration for something to talk about, just to help make things a little more efficient on my end. So next month, look forward to something directly related to Wolverine from the Four Shoe Claremont and Miller Wolverine series. Don't forget to rate this and all the shows you listen to on iTunes and Stitcher. It does help them all out. And thank you for listening.